hot flashes, vaginal dryness, painful sex, low libido, recurrent urinary tract infections, weight gain, insomnia, orgasm. What orgasm? Menopause is a very special time, and I'm betting you've not gotten a lot of information from your own doctor. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, a clinical professor of obstetrics and gynecology, the medical director of the Northwestern Medicine Center for Sexual Medicine and Menopause, a practicing gynecologist, best-selling author, and a nationally recognized menopause expert. My mantra has always been, if women are given good information, they'll make good choices. And I'm here to give you the inside information on all things menopause. I'm here at the annual meeting of the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health, otherwise known as ISWISH. Experts from all over the world have gathered for four days of lectures and symposiums. It's at meetings like this that new research is presented and attendees get to hear from the top people in the sexual medicine world. There have been lectures from urologists, oncologists, basic scientists, gynecologists, psychologists, all of them rock stars, some of who you've heard on prior episodes. I attend meetings like this to hear the new research, sometimes to give my own lectures, and most important, I attend these meetings to catch up with friends and colleagues that I only get to see once or twice a year. The other reason I like to attend these conferences is to get out of the cold, since they're usually held in sunny places like Southern California or Florida. This year, the organizers clearly did not take weather into consideration, so here I am in St. Louis, Missouri. It is cold and gray, and it's about to start raining. And not to complain, but the espresso machine in the hotel coffee shop is broken. But on the bright side, I get to be with my friends. And as medical conferences go, a sexual medicine conference is a lot more fun than, say, an arthritis conference. I mean, just my opinion. But in all fairness, I have to admit, I've never been to an arthritis conference. As you can imagine, get a bunch of sexual medicine experts together, and we tend to forget the entire world does not talk about genitalia in the course of normal conversation. We get a lot of horrified looks from people in the hotel bar who are eavesdropping on our conversation. And I'm quite sure our poor Uber driver heard the word vagina and orgasm used more in our 10-minute ride to the restaurant than he's heard in the last month or ever in his life. And he was a really good sport. It was exactly one year ago at this particular conference at Ishwish that I started taping my podcast. So this is my one-year anniversary, which is really hard for me to believe. What I learned last year at Ishwish is that it's really hard to tape the experts during a medical conference since the people I want to interview are generally the ones leading the symposiums and giving the lectures, and they're really just too busy to carve out an entire hour to tape. So this time, I decided to grab people on the fly and just ask them quick questions. 20 experts, the same four questions, which did backfire a little since I got a lot of the same answers, but at least you know we all think the same way. So here we go, and sorry about the background noise, I caught people where I could. Sometimes it was in a hallway, sometimes it was at the back of a lecture hall, sometimes at the hotel bar. And remember, these are not just random doctors. These are some of the top academic experts when it comes to sexual medicine, and menopause. So before I get to the questions, meet the experts you'll be hearing from and check the program notes to learn a little more about each one. I am Andrew Goldstein. I'm the director of the Center for Vulva Vaginal Disorders in Washington, D.C. and New York City. Hi, I'm Dr. Leah Melheiser. I'm an OB-GYN on faculty at Stanford University, and I'm the chief medical officer of the Evernell. Owen Goldstein. I'm from San Diego Sexual Medicine in glorious, beautiful, warm, sunny San Diego. 
I am a sexual medicine physician for many, many years. The founder of ISWISH uh, back in 1998. I'm Dr. Lori Burkholz. I'm a family physician who is fellowship trained in women's health, and I have a concierge practice in Southwest Michigan. Hi, I'm Dr. Alyssa Dweck. I'm a gynecologist in New York. Hi, I'm Miriam Green. I am the host of sexual what am i the host of <laughs> doctor radio it's such a great show we sexual health it is sexual health and gynecology or sexual health and well-being whatever you want to call it it's on Sirius XM channel 110 on the dial we are under the umbrella of doctor radio powered by NYU Langone Health okay that's what i am and who's your favorite guest I guess Lauren Stryker. Okay. okay, I'm Brooke Fott. I'm a women's health nurse practitioner in Nashville, Tennessee, and I run a sex medicine practice. Hi, I'm Dr. Diana Bittner of True Women's Health in Curia. My name is Jim Simon. I'm a reproductive endocrinologist in Washington, D.C., and a past president of both the North American Menopause Society and the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health, or ISHWISH. Hi, I'm Dr. Corinne Mann. I'm a board-certified OBGYN and NAM-certified menopause specialist and medical director at Alloy and a long-term breast cancer survivor. Dr. Melissa Dare from Omaha, Nebraska. I'm a DNP and I have a specialty clinic of pelvic pain and sex medicine within an OBGYN practice. Um, I'm a fellow with the ISWISH Society and I've done clinical research and women with pelvic pain and vaginal disorders. Hi, I'm Dr. Samina Ron, Gyno Girl on Instagram. I have a practice in downtown Chicago where I do sex med and menopause. My name is Jen Romanello, and I am president and founder of the Medical Student Forum on Female Sexual Medicine. And we're an organization um, dedicated to educating medical students about female sexual medicine. I'm Dr. Becky Lynn from Evora Women's Health. My name is Cheryl Kingsburg. I'm a clinical psychologist, chief of the Division of Behavioral Medicine in Cleveland, Ohio, University Hospitals. Hey, I'm Barb Dean. I am a women's health nurse practitioner, and I'm the vice president of Women's Health for Peppy, which is an online digital app. Tammy Rowan. Um, I'm a sexual medicine specialist. I work at UCSF. I direct their sexual medicine program. I'm also the scientific chair for ISWISH. Uh, Hi, I'm Rachel Rubin. I'm a urologist and sexual medicine specialist in the Washington, D.C. area. Hi, I'm Dr. Terry Gibbs from Toledo, Ohio. I'm an OBGYN with an emphasis in menopause and sexual medicine. The first question I asked was, of all of the ridiculous products that are being marketed out there to help women with sexual function, menopause symptoms, or bladder control, what is at the top of your list as something that just needs to go away? Uh-huh. Yoni eggs. <laughs> all the stuff actually that's from the feminine hygiene industry that is promoting, you know, uh, nice smelling, rose smelling vaginas need to go away. <laughs> Hello, everyone. A jade egg? Really? A yoni egg? I'm going to put that in my you-know-what south of the border? Not happening. There's no evidence, guys. So let's try to use something that works. Annoying commercials on television. 
I can't stand these overdone, ridiculous commercials that really euphemize some of the words that we just like to use regularly. It's going to sound insane, but Lysol in the South, because it was marketed, you know, 100 years ago as a douche product, I still have patience that their parents and grandparents and other loved ones have passed out. <laughs> yes. Okay, Bob? Yummy gummies, right? From Courtney Kardashian. That's got to go away. Yes. Yes, that we talked about. That, that has pineapple and vitamin C and a bacteria that was approved for cattle and veterinary medicine. So you're right there with the animals if you want to be perfect in getting one of these yummy gummies by Courtney Kardashian. Perfect pussy. Yeah, perfect. The perfect pussy. Oh my God, Lauren, talk about putting me on the spot. Wait, stop for a second. Um, arousal creams. Why? They don't work. And what They're are they? They're shown not to work. I mean, a lot of them have topical um, agents that can cause burning and irritation. They have herbal products like peppermint, things that have never been tested before. Topical products like that have never been shown to be effective. Testosterone pellets. I know we've heard it before, but I'll say it again. I've seen so many complications and it needs to go away. Easy question. KY warming lubricant. It is so harsh on the tissues and those clitoral tissues are so sensitive it just does a huge disservice to women. Poison in the vagina. Yes, poison in the vagina. So I would say supplements in general all need to go away until we're willing to actually do research and get data and have um, any kind of an agreement of what's actually in the bottle. Because there's no oversight of supplements, if you tell me that ashwagandha root is the greatest thing of all time, you still can't tell me that the bottle that you are holding actually has ashwagandha root in it. And so how can we have a really reasonable scientific conversation about supplements if we can't even agree what's in the bottle. And so I really encourage if the supplement industry cared about women, they would do the work. We would have an understanding of what's in the bottle and we'd have real research studies on if they actually help women. So before you spend lots of money on all of these products that promise you the holy grail of sexual health and wellness, think about that. Nobody had to look in the bottle to guarantee that your supplement was actually what they said it was. And that was just a summary of my chapter in Half West How, my chapter called Herbs, Spices, and Wishful Thinking. Yeah, before you, have- you, you, yeah, before you take that supplement, you need to know what it might do, what it might not do, and what we just don't know about it. We all agree with each other. And so the more... Well, we, we don't all agree with each other. That's, that's the problem, Dr. Rubin. We are among friends here at the I, at the Ishwish Conference. That is very true. I'm sure I will get tomatoes thrown at me from many people, but that's the reality. And let's have nuanced conversation and let's do the work, right? Let's do the science work. The vaginal facial or the vajajva facial, whatever this thing is. So this makes no sense to me because it was developed to treat the symptoms of burning and rawness and um, inflammation related to waxing and grooming, which is a completely unnecessary process in and of itself. So we made this societal pressure on women to do whatever they can to remove their hair. There's all kinds of complications related to said, you know, uh, process. And now we have yet another expensive product and treatment to treat said side effects from the unnecessary procedure. Oh, wow. Uh, 
Yeah, I think uh, all of the uh, products that uh, promise uh, to increase uh, sexual interest. Oh, anything that's meant to make your vagina smell better, taste better, somehow be better for somebody else. DTF. I will not tell you what the acronym stands for. Oh, I can. Down to fuck. <laughs> Am I going to get in trouble for that? Okay. Um, that is a non-evidence-based product that promises to treat hypoactive sexual desire disorder. Don't buy it. No data. Non-evidence-based. Don't waste your money. That is my least favorite product. Uh, it is supposed to treat low desire or low libido. The reliance on special herbal infused or other vaginal moisturizer concoctions because those are just band-aids and they're not really addressing the problem for women. Pellets, hormone pellets, testosterone pellets. They give you super physiologic levels of testosterone and I've seen horrible fallout from that. Oh, not to mention a beard and baldness and a really large clitoris. Okay. I think most of them need to go away. Um, they, they suffer from a nearly complete absence of scientific investigation for um, what they're designed to do. I think the one that tends to bother me the most are those lubricants and moisturizers that contain irritants that supposedly cause or improve arousal. I think the products that um, have to do with like the odor of the vulva or vagina because they basically uh, are connoting that there's something wrong <laughs> with how we naturally are. Like there's some pathology that doesn't exist. And um, I, I think those messages that patients get are important and um, they can be very harmful. Question number two. What is the number one most common myth you hear again and again when it comes to hormone therapy? This turned out to be a really bad question because every single expert, every single one gave the exact same answer. So I'm just giving you a sampler, not including all of them. And that's also why after a while I started asking, what is the second most common myth you hear just to get a little variety? Oh, that it's going to kill them. So I do hear that myth, and everybody believes they're going to get breast cancer as a result of hormone therapy. So this needs a lot of education. That it causes cancer. One more. Breast cancer. Huh? One more. Everyone says that. Well, okay. And what else? Um, because that it, well, the thing about myth about hormone therapy is that there's women who can't use hormone therapy, whether they actually have cancer, have sphere of cancer, or that it's going to cause cancer, or it's going to cause stroke, or it's going to cause heart attack. None of those are true, especially with local applied vaginal and estrogen therapy. However, the second and equally big problem is the fact that most people are not using topical androgens because that's huge and so everyone thinks that the vagina and vulva are estrogen dependent they're both estrogen testosterone and actually interestingly probably progesterone dependent that they cause breast cancer um, and, and that uh, that they're gonna they're gonna die if they take it early that vaginal estrogen can cause breast cancer um, and a lot of times they're seeing their physicians and they're being 
told untrue things about hormone therapy. Right, so it's not just reading the product label, they're actually getting this misinformation from physicians. Yes, and a huge issue too is with um, all estrogen products, we know that they're not created the same when it, depending on where you put it in your body, but all of the labeling is the same for the, the FDA. Right. And we know that you put estrogen in your vagina, it's not going to cause breast cancer. It's not going to cause blood clots or strokes or dementia, but yet they have not changed this labeling since day one. Number one is risk of breast cancer. It does not cause breast cancer. And number two, weight gain. They're afraid that they're going to gain weight. And I say it's not the hormones that cause weight, it's menopause. And so we've got to get it together and, uh, and treat the most common myth is that it is terrible for your health, that it will cause breast cancer, and that you should never try it. That it's going to kill me. That's what they tell me. It's going to kill me. And what's the second most common myth? Um, second most common myth is that you can only be on it for a very short amount of time. You've got like a three to five year time limit. That they are going to die, get Alzheimer's, uh, experience blood clots, get cancer, if they even use it for a day. Any type of, of hormone. All right. I have to say heart disease. A lot of patients who are completely fearful that taking hormones is going to cause heart disease. That I'm going to die immediately from breast cancer. The second I either put it in my vagina or put it in my mouth or stick a patch on my body, I will instantly disintegrate and die from breast cancer. I would always that it causes breast cancer, okay, even if it's local. Because everyone's saying I that. know <laughs> um, uh, that it will lead to early death. Oh, uh, uh, breast cancer and breast cancer. Okay, give me a second one because everyone's saying that. Okay. Uh, uh, oh, dementia. That it always causes breast cancer. And then, um, second one? Yes, that um, vaginal estrogen is dangerous. That hormone therapy is going to raise their baseline risk of breast cancer. It's a myth because the preponderance of evidence shows that whatever your baseline risk is due to your medical history, your family history, your genetics, that is your risk. And an addition of hormone replacement therapy is not going to raise that risk over your baseline risk. So you should know your baseline risk, but you shouldn't be afraid of taking hormones to treat your menopause symptoms. And what about women who have a breast cancer diagnosis? Can those women ever even contemplate the use of estrogen? Absolutely they can. First of all, they can certainly con contemplate um, vaginal hormones, vaginal estrogen or other vaginal hormones. And with shared decision-making decision and um, patient education, they can be informed of what the data shows on hormone therapy after a breast cancer diagnosis. And after a nuanced conversation with women, many of them can find that they may be candidates to take it. Uh, that it causes cancer, that they absolutely can't have it. I have so many people that say, I was told I can't have it. Can you imagine, I mean, that you can't have your body autonomy? Like, like it's, it's like risk benefit. Like we have to talk about like what we, sh what we should do or what we suggest that you do. But the idea that you can't have something is pretty wild to me. Name one single patient along those lines who cannot 
safely use a local vaginal estrogen product. I believe there are zero patients on earth who absolutely cannot use a vaginal hormone product. The only patient where I will start having a conversation with an oncologist about the crap data that's out there is a patient on an aromatase inhibitor, not tamoxifen, not a history of breast cancer, not a history of blood clots. All of those patients can safely use vaginal hormones. There is a blip of really crappy data that shows we need to study aromatase inhibitors more. And I love more research and science, but there is no overwhelming data that even in that population, that vaginal hormones aren't safe and effective. And the most important thing is what we're treating. We're trying to prevent urinary tract infections. This is not just a little vaginal dryness. This is urinary tract infections, which can and do kill women. And so we have to understand that the lack of hormones to the local tissue causes really severe urinary symptoms, sexual symptoms, as well as urinary tract infections, which can cause death. And you have the exact same approach to putting DHEA in the vagina. I just did a podcast on oh DHEA, I and I did talk a little bit about the issue that there's some oncologists who have patients on aromatase inhibitors who say nope to DHEA. So we, we need more data, and we need oncologists to care about this to do the data. But DHEA, if I could get DHEA in uh, the vaginas of every woman over the age of 45, I would, because the vagina, the urethra, the bladder, they have androgen, testosterone receptors in the tissue. Estrogen's actually not enough and often isn't enough. It's the bet we have a lot more products and a lot more affordable products, so I'm always going to go there. But DHEA is an incredible thing that adds both estrogen and androgen to the tissue, which is so starved for it. So unfortunately, we have one FDA-approved product. It's often non-accessible to our patients because of cost, which is devastating. So for anyone listening who has access to make change happen, we have to be getting these products out there and we have to be getting awareness to our patients about the safety and efficacy. So what it took me 15 minutes to say on my DHEA podcast episode, you just said it in 30 seconds. Thank you, Dr. Rubin. That's what Twitter does for me. That hormone therapy causes breast cancer. This is a myth that's based on very good scientific data of a different sort, scientific data that looks at a woman's lifetime exposure to estrogen, for example, and then assuming that giving women a small amount of postmenopausal estrogen correlates or adds to their lifetime exposure, when in fact it's a pittance and the data don't support an increased risk of breast cancer from standard doses of postmenopausal estrogen. Okay, so Dr. Simon, you are in agreement with every single expert that I have interviewed on this question, so I think we're all getting that message from the experts. So give me a second myth about hormone therapy that you hear a lot beyond the fact that everybody thinks it's going to cause breast cancer. Well, the, the second myth that I think is quite prevalent is that women who have um, had a blood clot, a thrombosis, or some kind of vascular problem when they were younger, let's say when they were taking birth control pills, can't ever use menopausal hormone therapy, even low-dose vaginal hormone therapy for just sexual pain, dryness, or lack of lubrication during intercourse. And that's because that scary product label says they're going to get a blood clot, even though we, of course, know that that's simply not true. Hormone therapy? Most common myth. 
Myth? Myth. Most common myth, myth about hormone therapy. that it doesn't work. It's the most amazing thing on earth. It so changes people's lives. It's so sad that, like, men don't do this. Men have this slow decay. You have this... No hot flashes, night sweats, and then people say, "Oh, I don't have menopause anymore. My night sweats are over." It couldn't couldn't be any more wrong. This is a lifelong ovarian failure story, and they need hormone, but monitored hormone. But that's really the myth: is that people have to stop their hormones. When in fact, when should women stop taking hormone therapy? Yeah, when they're no longer interested in life. In life, exactly. Okay. Question number three: I asked my experts if. Given the opportunity to educate a room full of men about sexually pleasing a female partner, what is the number one thing as sexual medicine experts they would tell the guys? All about the clitoris. Vacation. What I would tell every single man is read the book. She comes first because it really details everything. It's kind of a self-help for all the guys out there. So communication is key. And it's not their fault if the woman's libido is low. It doesn't mean she doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that you're not attractive. Just women's libido is different from men's. Take your time. Be nice. Women have sex to reward connection. Make a connection and you'll get sex. Communicate and take your time. I would educate them on the clitoral anatomy and actually um, with my med with my uh, med school peers like I have this clitoral neck clitoris necklace that I'm wearing I wore it on like, the first day of med school I do wear it and I uh, sometimes will ask people like oh do you know what this is and if oh I would tell them the clitoris is so much more than what they see it's like um, an iceberg right the majority of it is below the surface um, in terms of pleasing the partner I guess I would say you know you know, talk to them about what they like and what they think feels good. And if it's the clitoris that pleases them, if it's any erogenous zones, if, if it's um, you know, if, they, if it's the G zone, if you can get to it, good job. Tell them to look for the clitoris and learn how to touch it and to caress it and to suck it, I guess. Number one thing I would tell a man who has sex with a woman is guys. You do not orgasm from running from rubbing the inside of your thigh. You can go to town on the inside of your thigh and you're not going to orgasm. It's close to your penis, but it's not your actual penis. Your, the vagina is close to the clitoris, but it is not the actual clitoris. Most women, the majority of women, do not orgasm from penetration alone. They orgasm from stimulating their penile structure, which is the clitoris, which there's just a little tip of it that shows that the rest of it is a big, giant organ. My necklace is a clitoris. A big, giant organ that goes all the way down to the butt bones. And it's really inside, right? It's inside the, the, the pelvic area. And so sometimes you need vibration to get there. It doesn't make you a bad partner. Add vibration. I want you to, I'm doing a little bit of a close-up, and I want you to tell everybody what your necklace is. My necklace is a clitoris. I call, I call myself DC's premier clitorologist because nobody else wants the title. Uh, and it's important to know the entire structure of the clitoris, that just like the penis, half is outside the body and half is long legs inside the body that go all the way down to your butt bones. The clitoris is exactly the same. It's made up of the same tissue. It gets erect. It gets hard. Viagra works on it. Uh, and we have to start talking about it more. And I think you and I use the same phrase that the penis is just a big clitoris. 
it's a clitoris on steroids, right? Exactly. Testosterone. It's supposed to be. I'm, I'm too tired of hearing the clitoris is like a little penis. It's, no, right, not, no, the penis the, is a big clitoris. It is a clitoris on steroids, and that's really testosterone is that steroid. I would tell them find out and ask the woman what actually makes her feel good, because what you think makes her feel good is probably not it. Okay. The biggest sexual organ is a woman's brain, and unfortunately, you got to spend time there too. I would tell them all about the foreplay. Um, your female partner needs time to get in the mood. Either she's going to do it by herself or you have to get really good at foreplay and put in the time. But once she gets there, she'll be as ready as you are. Can I be blatant? Totally. Your dick doesn't work. You're going to have to touch your partner with your hand or your mouth, usually, to get them to climax. And where are you going to have to touch her? Let's oh, get yeah, the, the clitoris. Okay. Yeah, Got orgasm. it. If you can plan to pleasure your partner in such a way that she has her orgasm first or is on the brink of orgasm so that you can come together, that will be better for all concerned. Recognizing that it takes a lot more time, a lot more patience, and very specific stimulation necessary to bring her to orgasm which you sir need to learn it's not intuitive you cannot just know it you need to learn it and then pleasing her first or mutually sounds to me like the best thing you could ever do for your relationship and your partner i would tell them to not put so much pressure on their partner um to get to know her, get to know her vulvar anatomy. Um, ask her what feels good and keep working on it. What um, kind of pressure? What do you mean say don't put so much pressure on that women? Well, sometimes women struggle with orgasm and um, and that can be for various reasons and it could be from medications, it could be from trauma they suffered. And so, um, you know, they just need to be loving and supportive instead of asking all the time, did you have an orgasm? Did you climax? Yeah, because it's not a sexual failure just because there was no orgasm as a grand finale. Yeah, and men don't understand. Like, a woman doesn't necessarily have to have an orgasm every time to have enjoyed sexual activity. Listen to the women what they like. That's what I would suggest. Because men come to the, the, the party with their own things, like their penis and their erection, and they're going to ejaculate quickly or their erection's going to disappear. But listen to the women. Women will tell them what to do. That's Last question. As a sexual medicine and menopause expert, you're often asked to give a lecture to a room full of primary care clinicians who honestly generally know next to nothing about sexual medicine and menopause. So if you only had time to address one topic, what would that one topic be? The topic that I always talk about is vaginal dryness and don't be afraid of using hormones in the vagina. Because when you use hormones in the vagina, guess what? It helps with everything. And what happens in the vagina doesn't just stay there. It also migrates to the bladder. So it's a twofer. It's a two-for-one. So use vaginal hormones. And last? Probably genitourinary syndrome of menopause. I feel like 
it's somewhat out of sight, out of mind, and you have to be very intentional to properly identify and address. And uh, but it's so easy to treat. Ask her about menopause. Ask her about hot flashes, and offer treatment that actually works. I would talk about sexual function during the menopause transition and beyond. It's the one thing that internists and family medicine docs often don't ask their patients about, and it's the one thing that they really do want you to talk to them about. What topic would you choose? Well, it's interesting you asked because actually in three weeks I'll be in St. Martin speaking to a large group of providers as part of Symposium Medicus, and I'm actually talking on FSD, Female Sexual Dysfunction 101. So just introducing people to all of the ways that a woman's sexual health can be disrupted and how we should all as healthcare providers be aware and even if we can't fix it, know who can. I would choose, I guess, hormone therapy and estrogen therapy and not to be afraid of it. Why? Because there's nothing to be afraid of. Um, I would choose the topic of genital urinary syndrome and menopause. I think that talking about sort of the vulvar vaginal changes in menopause and the use of estrogen to prevent UTIs, to prevent um, sexual pain, just to give an overall feeling of, of wellness for the patient it would be life-changing for so many people. I would talk about the importance of sex for all aspects of health. Estrogen. Just get over it. Use it. Go read the, the literature. Just get over your fear. How to ask about sexual concerns. They can't get the other content until they are qualified and comfortable with asking a simple question. What sexual concerns do you have? That's the lecture I would give them. Low libido. I would tell them that no matter what their specialty is, they have to be knowledgeable on what happens to a woman during the perimenopause and menopause transition. Because what's happening then is not an isolated thing that only affects their you know, OBGYN issues. It affects every single part of the woman's body and it affects your specialty. So you should know what's happening. And why do you think most internists and family docs don't talk about this? Because women's health and their sexual health has never been a priority in society and they're not ever educated on it. And it's really just a lack of education. And I think if they saw how impactful um, the hormone changes could be in their specialty, whether it's the neurologist and migraines or the cardiologist and heart disease or the endocrinologist and diabetes, they'd really get on board and learning how hormones can help and can, you know, really modify what's happening in, you know, their specialty. So stop being scared of hormones. Stop being scared of hormones and like level up. It's time. It's not acceptable to just say you don't believe in hormones. If you say that, then you don't believe in science. Like, and I ask, like, if you're going to give patients um, fear-based advice, you better have the science to back you up. So when you say, oh, you can't do that or that's going to kill you, um, I want you to show the patient, where's the data on that? It's so important. Absolutely, because we are literally scaring women to death because by providing them inaccurate information and fear-based information, it's actually killing them because they're being denied access to things that could actually save their lives.
One topic. One topic. One topic would be genitourinary syndrome of menopause and how you absolutely must, as a primary care doctor, be you can say if you've ever prescribed Flomax for a man for urination or you've ever prescribed Viagra for a man for erectile dysfunction, you should be prescribing vaginal hormones, estrogen or DHEA, just as often for your female patients because vaginal hormones are the female Viagra. It improves sexual health, it improves urinary function, and it prevents UTIs. So it is literally Viagra, but prevents UTIs. It is safe, it is effective. You don't have to be an expert in genital anatomy and twice a week till death does your patient part, right? And when they you, will live longer. And they will live longer and have much better quality of life. And so you tell your patient, when do you stop moisturizing your face? When do you stop wearing your seatbelt? Vaginal hormones are for life. They're safe for your 99-year-old patient. They're safe for all, every patient that is out there doing And so please become comfortable with that prescription alone. It'll change your entire practice. I think it would be on the orgasm gap and like the biopsychosocials of what reasons why it exists and like concepts of like socio-sexual scripts and um, just educating people on like why this matters and like what the orgasm gap represents. Attention to people with sexual problems because it's awful. They have great bother, great distress to men and women. Uh, it's ignored. It's not uh, part of the education or the involvement of the, the general practitioner, but it's a huge problem with people's quality of life. And for us in the field, we, we just love helping people because it's actually quite easy to help the vast majority of people. That's the key thing. I would talk about the risks of hormone therapy, which include two of our other topics, namely breast cancer and the label, which tend to reinforce no hormone therapy behaviors in those internists and primary care doctors when in fact they are eminently capable and knowledgeable enough to prescribe hormone therapy to their patient and they should be doing it more. Their own fears as practitioners and those of the patients aggravated by the package insert make hormone therapy for menopausal women in that setting a bridge too far and that's just wrong so when you're talking to internists about risk what you're really saying is perceived risks as opposed to actual risks correct and by showing them the actual data on risk you can convince most of them that their perception is incorrect incorrect in their own minds incorrect in their teaching and incorrect in the product label. What more do you need to convince them of? If you can undo all three of those things, you can convert an internist from an adversary to hormone therapy to an advocate. And I've done it many, many times to the betterment of the care of their patients. So you're telling me that you have been actually able to convince internists to write a prescription for hormone therapy for their patients. Yes, I have, and I'm going to say that quite frankly and honestly. And when I get pushback from an individual practitioner, I usually can get them to at least refer me the patient. I can write the first prescription, and they can write the, ref the uh, refills. All right. Dr. Jim Simon, Washington, D.C., if you're in the area. Come on by genitourinary syndrome of menopause. We know that that is a collection of symptoms that a woman may experience. And we know that one in two women are gonna experience that. So in North America, that's 
32 million women. Um, and so be, the, they need, we all need to be proactively educating our patients when they're in their 40s and letting them know they have any issues, which could be urinary urgency, frequency, leakage of urine, painful sex, lack of lubrication, inability to orgasm. And do you think that most primary care doctors are going to be open to learning about this and to help their patients, to treat their patients? Well, I know I'm trying to do my part in Nebraska. And, um, you know, the other thing that frustrates me is when you see these postmenopausal women with recurrent UTIs and vaginal infections that if you don't treat the underlying cause, which is a lack of hormones in the vagina, vestibule. Right. It's not all about out. sex. It's the non-sexual symptoms as well. Exactly. Thank you. Okay. Be clear. Everyone hates all of the over-the-counter products that make genitals smell like a flower garden. The number one myth we hear from patients is that hormone therapy causes breast cancer and will cause you to drop dead. Most men need a map to the clitoris, and at a minimum, primary care doctors need to ask about sexual function and maybe even offer some dry vagina solutions. So now that the conference is over, my biggest problem was making it through security at the airport with the four vibrators I was gifted and a podcast microphone that looks like an extremely large, scary fifth vibrator. Wish me luck. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, and thank you for joining me. You will find lots more information in my Inside Information books available on Amazon.com. And follow Francie as she navigates her way through vaginal dryness, hot flashes, and pretty much every menopausal symptom you can think of. See the light, now I'm sleeping through.